Jesus called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a woman or man that by going into them has the power to defile. Rather, what comes out of a person is what defiles a person. Now when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you all then also without understanding? Do you all not see that whatever goes into a woman or man from outside has no power to defile? For it does not enter the heart, but rather the stomach, and goes out into the sewer. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus also said, It is what comes out of a man or woman that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye or envy, slander, pride, thoughtlessness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have the love without pretense of children raised together, from a pure heart, love one another persistently. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. I, uh, I missed you all last week, and uh, it's just really lovely to be back. Now, this passage always makes me laugh. It's another one where our kind of Bible energy takes over, and we're like, yes, of course. What, whatever you eat, it does not go to the heart. It goes to the stomach and then out to the sewer. And Jesus is basically saying, like, hey, I see you. I see you with your really rigid purity codes. I see how obsessed you are with observing kosher food laws. You know that no matter what you eat, it all comes out as crap anyway, right? I don't care what you crap out. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, all of this performative stuff, not that it was always performative, right? The Jewish law around dietary restrictions had a deeply important rooted cultural place. But what it had gotten to in his culture among the religious leaders around Jesus at that time was performative. And he's like, I see this effort from you, and I think it's crap. And I'm going to be extremely explicit about that. We're so precious about Jesus sometimes. And thinking that Jesus is very, like, lofty about all of these things. But he's, he's really, he's making poop jokes here. I just, like, like re- relax your shoulders a little bit. <laughs> Ease into this space. Your, your Lord and Savior just made a poop joke. <laughs> and Jesus says, I don't give a crap about the crap that you crap from what you eat. I give a crap about the crap that you do. I care about who you are and how it is evidenced by your actions and what comes out of you, not your bowels, but what comes out of your being. And the thing that you need to be worried about is not the technicalities of whether you're following the rules according to the paper. 
but how your very being is functioning in the world to reveal who you are. Are you defiling yourself? Or are you acting from the heart with goodness? Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about the heart. Jesus was preaching and was talking about the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about the kind of function of that love in our lives. But I want to talk for a second about the heart, because this is what Jesus is focusing on today. He really distinguishes between saying, like, hey, what you eat, that's not, that's not what's impacting your heart. That goes straight to your stomach. And, like, this seems to be a really technical, like, sure, yeah, okay, get it. I understand some of the basics of anatomy. But, like, why is Jesus making this distinction? And what does Jesus mean when he says the heart? You see, in our culture, we associate the heart with kind of, like, gushy sentimentality and feelings, right? We've got phrases like, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve. And that's not, that's, that's not about revealing anything other than, like, your your secret feelings, your inner feelings. We really associate the heart with emotionality and with feelings. You know, even the title of this service and sermon, A Change of Heart, really evokes in our culture uh, a sort of unconscious, perhaps even unwilling shift in how someone feels about something. And feelings then, and therefore the heart, in our culture are pretty much outside of our control. We are subject to the whims of our hearts. That's how we talk about it. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, sometimes that's a strange thing to command because what control do we have over our feelings? And aren't we taught that all of our feelings are valid? If the feeling of my heart is resentment or rage, there's nothing actually wrong with that. So it would seem counterproductive to try and will the heart to feel something that it doesn't. And I don't think that Jesus is asking us to do that. I think that Jesus means something fundamentally different when he says heart. Now, in the context in which Jesus is speaking, the context of the Hebrew scriptures and his local community, the heart meant something else altogether. There are other words that would be more closely associated with what we think of heart. So uh, one of the things that comes up in Scripture a lot is to have compassion. To have compassion. And, and the, the verb, splonkniotzimai, I apologize to anyone who actually knows how to pronounce biblical Greek. <laughs> to have compassion, right? Its root, splonknon, is innards or guts, the locus of emotion, says Will Gaffney. So emotion in this culture was not located in the heart, but in the gut. Feelings arise from the gut. That's where we have compassion, we connect to other people, but it's also where we feel everything else in our gut. And that feels true enough that, like, I think most of us can get on board with that as an idea, right? That, like, we could imagine that a whole culture, instead of wearing their heart on their sleeves, wears their guts on their sleeves, This is the context in which Jesus is speaking. The feelings are rooted lower in the body. They come from that deeper gut-oriented place. And in Jesus' culture, the mind 
was becoming really important. This is not the culture of the Hebrew scriptures, but the culture of Jesus' teaching because of the Greeks. So the Greek influence on that area was enormous, and it was the Greeks who had this very dualistic idea that there was the body and the mind. Jesus actually goes out of his way when he's reciting that scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, to add mind. That's not in the original. That's not in the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus is adding that in because he knows how important that understanding is to the, to the Hellenized culture around him. But in so doing, he's saying the mind, which the Greeks would associate kind of, you know, the brain, right? That's how we think of it, the brain. He's saying that's not the heart either. So we've got the guts, the feeling, and the brain, the mind, and somewhere in between is the heart. So what is the heart? Well, the Hebrew scriptures that inform Jesus' teaching and Jesus' culture say many things about the heart. In Joel chapter 2, it says, Even now, says the Holy One, return to me with your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with lamenting. It is the heart that is capable of repentance, the heart that is capable of returning to the seat of love, the heart that is capable of taking action, right, with fasting, with grieving, that, that can bring the self back into deep relationship with God. So here we have this idea that the heart can take action, fasting, weeping, lamenting, and that the heart has choice and the ability to repent. In Luke 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're starting to freak out about stuff. He says to them, why are you troubled? Because of thoughts rising in your hearts? Now, you may have heard that passage before, and it may never have, it may have caught your attention or may not have. It has never caught my attention before. I was looking for this. But I was like, heart, thoughts rising in your heart? That, that's, again, that's just not how we talk about thoughts or hearts in our culture. But Jesus is, is understanding that the mind and the heart are deeply connected and saying these thoughts, you're troubled, you're experiencing that gut feeling because thoughts are rising up in your heart. There is some connection here. The heart is the place where thoughts and feelings come together. In Psalm 104, uh, the scriptures say, and wine to make the human heart rejoice, with oil to make the face shine, and bread to sustain the human heart. These are, again, things that we would not think of. We would think only of the body broadly, right? Wine and bread and oil, these are for the body, and yet here is for the heart. The heart is embodied. It is, it is uh, dependent on physical sustenance and nourishment. In another psalm, Psalm 22, the psalmist says, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek her shall praise the mother of all. May your hearts live forever. And it is a blessing It is a blessing. Long live your hearts. And we see here the heart as a kind of self, an identity. The locus of the self is the heart. So the heart is like the mind or brain in our culture. The heart can feel the feelings of the gut. But there is such a difference here. We are in a culture that is quite dualistic like the Greeks. But the Hebrew people were not. They did not separate all of those things. 
And in understanding the heart, we have the coming together, this embodied, physical, grounded in our bodies, locus of the self that brings in the thoughts of the mind and the feelings of the guts to come together to have agency and choice and rationality. All of this comes from the self in the body. So when Jesus says... Do not defile your hearts. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as well, Jesus is saying, do this with your very being. Do this with the core of you. Do this where all of these things come together. The fullness of ourselves is the heart of us. That is who we are. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You are not your body. And yet all three of these, your heart, your feelings, your thoughts, your body, they come together, they meet in the core of you that Jesus names the heart. And you express from the depth of your being, through your choices, your actions, the ways that you interact with the world around you. We don't often talk about this core self. What is at the heart of us? You may have learned in therapy or meditation or on Instagram that that your feelings are temporary and they don't define you, that your thoughts are situational and that they don't define you, that your body is a body and it doesn't define you. So what does define you? Who are you at your core? That's a conversation we're not really having right now. But Jesus knows who you are at your core and names it heart names your heart, honors your heart, that there is something fundamental, core to who you are that is deeply impacted by all of those other things, but also is its own rooted self. Now, some of you know that Cameron is a social work professor, and he's launching this amazing abolitionist program this fall, and uh, because we can't stay out of each other's work, I got, I'm now adjunct faculty, which is amazing. And it's bringing me back to some of the core teachings of social work and some of the trauma work that I've had the privilege to do in my life. And there is something called internal family systems that has made an, a, an enormous, enormous impact on my healing and the healing of people that I know. And IFS actually does name this heart. It calls it the core self. This theory purports that we all have a core self. It doesn't need to be developed in therapy or practice. It is in us. It is who we fundamentally are. The core self, what Jesus would call the heart. And the core self is fundamentally good and resourced. There are, bear with me here, eight C's and five P's that define the core self. The core self has compassion. That is not something that needs to be learned or earned or developed. The core core of you is compassionate. The core self is creative. Your heart contains immeasurable creativity made in the image of your creator. The ultimate creative made you in their image. And creativity is a part of who you are. The core of you is curious, is interested in the world around you, is ready to take in information. The core of you has confidence. 
knows who you are. Your heart has confidence inside of it. The core of you is courageous. Your heart has courage to meet the world with joyful expectation and hope. The core of you has calm, has an internal sense of calm and peace. The core of you has connectedness, a fundamental ability to be with the world and the people around you. That is fundamental to who you are. That is a part of your heart that no one can take from you. The core of you has clarity. The unclarity of our lives can feel so overwhelming, but at your heart you know there is a clarity inside of you. And your core self is capable of presence, not disappearing or numbing through your life, but being present in this life. Your heart has perspective. Your perspective matters who you are in context to everything else. Your core heart is playful. You are made by a playful God for play and joy and exploration. Your core heart is capable of patience and has an enduring patience that understands how things unfold. And, and I love this one, the last one, your heart has persistence. Your heart has persistence to move through difficulty, to endure and persist. And I love this one today in particular because of that second reading, because Jesus tells us that we are to honor our heart, to not defile it, not to violate it. And out of that teaching, the scriptures, the epistles say, when we have done this, when we have honored our heart, when we have been subject to the truth, when we are transformed, we can love one another like family, like children raised together, like siblings, with persistence, that we love one another through so much We are called to love with that core self. We are called to love compassionately, creatively, with curiosity. We are called to love with confidence, with courage and calm. We are called to love connectedly and with clarity. We are called to be present in our love, to have perspective in our love, to be playful in our love, to be patient in our love, and to be persistent. That is the core of you. You are capable of every one of those things. So why do we feel so far from it so often? Anybody here not feel so courageous? Anybody here not feel so curious a lot of that time? (laughs) Anybody here not feel a deep inner sense of calm all the time? (laughs) Anybody here out of touch? with their playfulness or their creativity. Our core self can become, as Jesus says here, defiled. Now that's a word that I think, again, we have so much cultural mismatch with that we're going to lay it aside. But I want you to think of it as buried. Our core self can be buried, burdened under the weight of wounds and trauma and disconnection. Our survival skills kick in, and our core self gets buried under a mountain of strategies that we employ to try and keep ourselves safe. We live in a world that requires that of us so often, and yet 
When we get buried under those strategies and our core self cannot lead the way, Jesus calls us back, says, uncover yourself, unbury yourself. You are not those thoughts or those feelings or even that body. But your thoughts and feelings and body, they they move through this heart of you. And if you honor that heart of you, you honor one another and you honor me. You move with love and confidence in the world. You can be your core self. I know it's in you. I know that is the heart of who you are. We are affiliated with a Wesleyan tradition, just a tradition of thinking about God and talking about God, where John Wesley was like a pretty important deal. And I really love Wesley's analogy for grace. There are a lot of different traditions that talk about grace in different ways, but the one that sticks with me is Wesley's image of the mirror. It sort of evokes Paul saying, and now we see as if in a mirror dimly, but one day we'll be face to face. And there is this sense that that we are trying to come face to face with God, with the divine. And this image of grace kind of overlaps with that to say, and then too we will see ourselves. Right now we are looking in a mirror dimly. And Wesley says that the mirror that ought to show us our true selves, our core selves, the heart of us, in grime, in dirt, in dust, in wound, in blood, the things that have buried us, the strategies we have employed to survive, the violence that has induced those strategies in the first place. They have obscured us. And the grace of God is our ability with the Spirit to slowly, over and over, wipe clean that mirror so that we can see our true selves in the image of God's glory, the core of who we are, that heart of who we are. Which brings me back to a quote that you've heard me maybe say before, and if not, you will hear me say again from Kierkegaard's diaries. And now, God, with your help, I will become myself. When you look in the mirror, if all you see is that dirt and grime and blood, all you see are the wounds that you have endured, it can feel extremely disheartening. But I want you to know that your heart is there, that the core self of you is protected, held hidden in Christ, and that we are called not to perform arbitrary laws, but to honor the core of who we are, to act out of our heart, to create this connection back to our core self. We talk a lot about transformative justice here, about liberation, about abolition, about the future that is to come. And I just want to take today to remind us that that does not just happen out in the structures of the world. It cannot happen out in the structures of the world unless it is also ever always happening inside of us. We can be transformed. We can be renewed. We can be liberated in our hearts, connected back to the very heart of our being. And it is through that work, alongside of the work of tearing down empires, alongside the work of building communities of justice and belonging, 
We can only do these things well if we do them all at once. We are not meant to do these things alone, but we are meant to do them internally as well as publicly. And we can get back to the heart of us, individually, collectively, across all creation. That is the path of liberation that God has invited us onto. It can be so hard to trust that if we move through our own process that we will find something at the core of us. I have been in my own therapy session saying, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything under all of my strategies. I don't know if there's anything left buried under all these scars. And yet, the scriptures call us back to the heart of us, the promise that we are more than anything we have been through. We are more than any thought we have ever had. We are more than any feeling that moves through our body. We are at our heart, beloved. And we are seen by God. We are called then to see ourselves, to lean into that createdness, and to see one another, and to do so together. That first, that first song that we sang today, You've Called Me Higher, I didn't know that we were doing that today. I, could have, I mean, I should have checked. I could have known, but I didn't. And it caught me a little off guard. Cameron and I are celebrating our fifth anniversary on Saturday. Thank you. We sang that song at our wedding. We sang that song at our wedding because part of being in that loving relationship for me at least, I won't speak for Cameron, is an invitation not only into deeper faith, but into a deeper sense of self. To say, I am already loved. I'm already here in your arms. Your arms, my partner. Your arms, the divine. And yet, you give me hope and courage to go deeper and to find my core self. To trust that the heart of me is there and worth searching for. To do so for myself and also because I want to be good to you. To do so because I can see your heart even when you can't. And I want to help you get to the heart of you. This is what it means to be in community together. To have a community of belonging. To trust one another's hearts. To find them. To root ourselves to uncover, wipe away the grime and dirt, the blood and mess, and to know that at the heart of each of us is a beloved child of God. And this is what we mean when we repeat the psalmist who says, create in us pure hearts, create in us new hearts, bring us back to the core of us, renew a right spirit within us. May our spirits be renewed, and may that new heart be the first and ever created in us, made and held in the image of God. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you are compassionate. You are creative. You are curious. You are confident. You are courageous. and God, may we live into your image, the heart of us, May we be a people of presence, of perspective, of playfulness, of patience, of persistence. God, may we be ourselves. Give us hope to find both ourselves and you in the mirror. And help us transform our hearts as we transform the world into your kingdom. Amen.